And once again, L.A. in the A.M. with Jay Oliver. I'm Tom Shalero sitting in for Jay Oliver. We got a special guest right now. You know, everybody is talking about the election. You go to the proverbial Monday or Sunday morning bagel stores, and that's when people are going to be talking about uh, what happened, what it is. Wow, I voted, I voted. Everybody was saying that. There was a lot of excitement on Tuesday. And uh, just been a great week for Long Island in terms of the enthusiasm. Of course, many people upset about the gubernatorial, but there were a lot of other things. And I brought an insider on the morning show, and you all know who this is. This is Assemblyman Doug Smith, fresh off a big win on Tuesday, once again reelected. Uh, I know Doug is on my show every Thursday, and people call on all the time. Doug has a great office for constituent services, and in my mind, Doug has become a personal friend and personifies uh, what uh, a good elected official does, not just with the constituent services, but voting uh, for uh, policies that fit his district. So let me just welcome L.I. in the AM. We've got Doug Smith. It's something with Doug Smith. Good to see you, Doug. Uh, so good to be here with you, Tom. It's a different time than our typical hour, but it's great to be with your listeners here this morning. Uh, what was it like Tuesday? I mean, it almost was kind of like, you know, people looking at the gubernatorial results, but at the same time, you're a Republican, and... Um, Nassau and Suffolk County brought out a lot of Republicans. We saw, and from what I read in the last couple of days, again, Dean Murray, also elected to the state Senate, he had called me and said it looked like there were three seats, three Democratic state Senate seats that were flipped on Long Island. And uh, there's an all-Republican uh, congressional delegation right now. So, you know, what what is the scuttlebug? I mean, did you guys have smiley faces or sad faces? I mean, it had to be almost a, a contradiction in emotion. Uh, it was definitely a mixed bag because uh, what happened on top of this also, uh, as you know, Tom, because you were live streaming this, uh, the Suffolk County results out here on Long Island didn't uh, get uploaded right away. Yeah. So there was a little bit of suspense there, uh, which also uh, added to the, the mood a little bit. But, but yeah, it was a mixed bag, I would say, because Lee Zeldin, as, you know, our candidate for governor and myself, uh, you know, I voted for him and I was really hoping for a new pathway forward with that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us uh, who personally know Lee and we know Diana and his family and how much time they spent crisscrossing the state over uh, many, many months, a year and a half, uh, getting that message out. Uh, that part was a, a bit disappointing, but if you see the hard work did yield results. Uh, there are now a number of new representatives in the House of Representatives from New York. Actually, uh, that may make the difference of who becomes House Speaker. Yes, uh, yeah. Just the work here in New York. Yeah. Uh, the State Senate added some members, the State Assembly, of which I'm a part of. Uh, we added a number of members in, in areas that uh, once you thought would never elect a Republican, but parts of uh, Brooklyn and Queens elected Republicans, uh, and uh, we added a couple seats down here as well. So uh, overall, you know, it was a good night, but I think everybody right now is holding their breath wondering if anything's going to change in Albany. And I'll, I'm going to say optimistically, I think a message was sent because right now you have uh, Democrats kind of fighting for the soul of their party here in New York. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. You know, you, you lead the fight so many times. Again, you've been an integral part, as I said before, of my program uh, in the uh, the midday program. And many times uh, you'll call me in the morning and you'll have a speech that you did on the floor. And it's so great. You send it down with modern technology. You send it down 10 minutes or one minute after you did it. We play it on the air for the folks and it that's democracy in its best to listen to your local elected official while he or she is making a speech on the floor and and you're a fighter i mean you're out there you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you roll with the punches you're in that minority Okay, uh, again, it, that minority is not so minor anymore because even though the uh, the Democrats are still in control 
and I would still take a guess. I'm not going to be so totally optimistic. There still is now a tinge that maybe, just maybe, that majority has to... They have to play balls with the Doug Smith here. They have to, you know, get to get get to uh, listen to what you have to say because the population and the vote, I believe, showed that. Even though the numbers are not in the uh, ruling stage or the governing stage right now, do you think you you go back in January with a little bit more ammunition? Uh, I, I think absolutely. I mean, I think that. Uh, here in New York, uh, while we were really hoping for an upset victory, uh, what an upset it would have been. And actually, uh, we were talking about during the break, uh, the results, Lee Zeldin almost getting 48% to Kathy Ogles 52%. In a, in a state that's 3-2 to two Democrat to Republican, and even by registration, it's 2-1. Yeah. to one. Mm. So that, that in and of itself is earth-shattering. But I think, you know, uh, as we talked about this week, Kathy Hochul gave a, a, a nice speech saying that she shattered the glass ceiling, becoming the first female elected governor. But I think you saw around the state another glass ceiling shattered uh, among the Republican Party uh, when communities that, you know, the Democrats have always counted on to be key constituencies really broke free and said, you know what, we're going to give something a different chance. And, uh, we, we, and when the numbers shake out finally, as, you know, I'm looking at them piece by piece, you're going to see that Latinos voted Republican in yes. many of these areas, yeah. like 40 to 45 percent. That uh, we have a lot of Asian uh, New Yorkers that voted Republican, uh, and and we have a new member, uh, Lester Chang, uh, in the New York State Assembly. Uh, that you know he's representative of one of those communities, knocking out Peter Abadi, the longtime time chair of the government employees. I'm community. just hearing about it. Peter Abadi was knocked out. Yeah, That's a name out. you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm. So he and I like Peter. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know his community voted Republican and wow. sent a new voice. Uh, so uh, here on Long Island, uh, Steve Engelbright, uh, a good friend, uh, but the chair of the Environmental Conservation Committee, a member of the New York State Assembly since I believe 1992, yeah. he was defeated by Ed Flood. So you did see a lot of these, uh, and then also the the chair of the Housing Committee, Steve Simberwitz, he was also defeated. So mm. uh, a lot of these longtime players in New York City uh, that you know many of them, by the way, were afraid of the left. So you saw them run a very odd campaign in the primary because they were fearing the left side. They somehow squeaked out a win, but then by going too far to the left in the primary, they ended up uh, on the path to defeat in the general. So I, I, that, to me, and again, uh, notwithstanding these individual members, because you know I tend to get along with everybody, so and I work with everybody, so it doesn't matter. And and you know a lot of people, Tom, have been asking me um, not yesterday but before the election. They said, you know, as one of Lee Zeldin's most vocal supporters in the state assembly, if he comes up a little bit short, you know, is that going to hurt your ability to get things done? Is that going to? And my attitude is absolutely not, because the fact is, my community is critical and is concerned about the path of New York, and they're concerned about Kathy Hochul and her policies. So hopefully, she'll take a new tune now uh, that she's actually been elected to the post. Um, but uh, you know, that remains to be seen. But you know, you you cannot ignore uh, the forty-seven and a half percent of the people that voted for for Lee Zeldin, and it is my hope. And you, you're going to be the leader of that movement. You you would. Doing it in a time when it was difficult, and that time was the last session. You know, now uh, there is something out there that shows this state can move in a direction of being a two-party state, even though, of course, the victory statewide didn't show that. But now you're talking about millions millions of, uh, of New Yorkers that decided they wanted an alternative. And see, that's what, to me, that's the beauty of the American democracy. We don't automatically, in most circumstances, shut down that minority. Oh, you lost. That's it. You're out. We don't do that. Now, you represent 
uh, in the New York State Assembly. You certainly represent a district that includes Democrats and Republicans and so on. It shouldn't be that because you're in the minority, you get voted down. But do you think, and I know this is a tough question to answer. I know most of us are thinking that, that those votes should count for something. And I'm talking about the votes that were uh, cast for Lee Zeldin. Uh, the fact that this was not a blowout. This was a close election. And as you so articulated, the number of Democrats versus Republicans is to the point you'll never win. He nearly won. And right. he could have won based on maybe a, a couple of other algorithms or dynamics or what, whatever you want to say. Um, tough question. Can you block what many people feel is going to be a continuation of, we'll just start with policies that essentially promote crime. And I don't know how else to say it, because you know what's coming down the line. You know what, uh, what the crazies are going to do up there. And, you know, again, that phrase is used quite a bit by even members of their own party. Um, do you think... There's another strategy. Do you have something in your mind to say, hey, we had 47.5% of the vote. Uh, we need to be paid attention to. Uh, Doug Smith. Uh, by the way, folks, I'm talking to somebody with Doug Smith. I, I, absolutely. I think that we go up back to Albany with a renewed confidence and a uh, cautious optimism. Again, um, you know, when I said this on election night, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And we okay, certainly, right. you know, are I like out there. That, yeah, I like <laughs> that's a Mark Twain, you know. And so that, that's, that's certainly what we embody in the New York State Assembly. But... I think what you see now, uh, by us, we're probably in the Republican conference of the New York State Assembly, we'll probably have 49 to 50 members. Now, 76 are needed to pass legislation. I would gather that uh, among their side, you know, there's probably 30 to 40 that I know of that are common sense, moderate Democrat members that this entire time have said, hey, we have to we have to fix this cashless bail. We have to give judges the ability to set uh, bail based on dangerousness. Um, so I think that I think if nothing else, you know, uh, waking up the day after election, a lot of people were on social media saying, you know, what happened to that red wave? You know, and this is nationwide, by the way. But if you looked at New York, this red wave did actually hit New York. So as deep blue New York, we got hit with the red wave. The rest of the country, maybe not so much. But uh, the fact that uh, our performance in New York in these key congressional races, Sean Patrick Maloney, who's the chair of the Democrat campaign arm uh, in Congress, was knocked out by Assemblyman Mike Lawler, who was one of our lead debaters. Now he'll uh, do a good job in Washington. Uh, on Long Island, as you mentioned, four congressional seats now are all Republican. Who would have saw that coming? I wouldn't have, to no. be honest. I, I didn't even think that on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I felt very confident of Nick Lalota and Andrew Garbarino, but George Santos and Anthony D'Esposito... You know, they were working hard, but I didn't think, you know, I, you know, sometimes you can work hard and uh, come up a little bit short, as, as we know in many of these races. But um, I think, if nothing else, that's going to send an impact to Washington uh, from here in New York. And you already see it because AOC is actually calling for the oust of the chair of the New York State Democratic uh, Party, uh, Jay Jacobs. And his retort was, we lost uh, in a big way because of these far-left policies. So his attitude, and he's also the chair of the Nassau Democrats, yeah, uh, Democrats right. he's sitting there saying, look, this is a wake-up call. Stop with this far-left. If you go woke, you're going, you know, to, to lose on Election Day. And uh, and, and members of the, the left wing of the Democratic Party here in New York, they want to toss him and they want to go further to the left. So clearly the voters don't want that. I think the voters want some uh, moderation. I think the other loser, by the way, on Election Night, uh, I think Donald Trump, because I think that... Yeah. Uh, I, I think Ron DeSantis was a winner on election night. I, I think Donald Trump was a loser. So there were some winners and losers, really mixed bag. Yeah, and and then Donald Trump uh, wasn't even on the New York ballot, as was uh, Ron DeSantis. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of 
what I experienced yesterday, talking to a lot of people, as you did too, and people were depressed. I know, I, I was on the phone going, uh, excuse me, I was on the radio yesterday going, uh, you know, uh, I'm, in, I'm lamenting today, you know, because, uh, again, I, I had my heart set on a change criminal justice program so that we could bring back the streets and that we can support our police officers and so on. And, and I thought about all of the legislation that even you, Doug Smith, in the minority could have proposed with a uh, Republican governor and would have had to compromise to get it through the assembly, get it through a, a more uh, listening state. Senate and all of that. But then I thought about it is that we can take this and we meaning the people of the state of New York. I'm not talking about Democrats and Republicans, folks. Uh, it's, it's something that uh, the, the goodness and the common sense legislation and we can take victory from defeat. Yep. Even though there was a defeat on the gubernatorial level, that was not just a loss. I mean, that was a statement, and a statement that this state is ready. This state is ready for compromise. This state is ready to get away from far-left policies that, you know, uh, again, it's not a fiscal policy. We're not talking about a tax that you didn't like. We're talking about people getting hurt. Right. And, and, that, and that's, that's the part that bothers me the most, that when you interview or speak to these crime victims that are just the folks, regular people, happen to ride, and I brought up a, a case on Election Day of an individual that got on a train on Sunday, just a regular 31-year-old working guy. And uh, next thing he knows, a, a bunch of thugs who had been in the system, but we won't put him in jail. You know, they beat him up. They took his uh, Ray-Ban sunglasses and, uh, you know, not a big deal to the average person, but it's a big deal to him and his family. Yep. And uh, and that should that. not happen. And yeah. I think I think we saw that. I think when this shakes out, and I am very interested, you know, I was a former math teacher, so I do like to look at the numbers, and I'm kind of a geek as well, so I will end up looking at those numbers, and what you're going to find you're going to find that Democrats voted Republican this time. Uh, and a lot of them, this is probably the first time they ever voted Republican because they wanted to change. They wanted to try something different. So I think as they look back at this, uh, and, and, and the city and state, which uh, it's a big political paper, New York City and up, up in Albany, uh, they already have a, an article out there saying, you know, Hochul may have won her election, but at what cost? And this is a Democratic-leaning writer uh, basically saying, okay, she squeaked by. But the fact that she that these issues went unaddressed for 14 months probably cost Democrats the House of Representatives. And I, I tend to agree with that. And I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, as we go back to Albany in January, I'm, I, I think a number of my colleagues are actually probably going to send a letter to the governor asking for her to call a special session before January to say, look, now that the election's over, it won't look political. Let's just do what we're supposed to do. Uh, a number of my colleagues are on the Democratic side are talking about they want to do a special session for a pay raise. I, I think that that's completely out of touch with everyday New Yorkers. I think if we're going to do a special session, it should be to address some of these bad crime yeah. laws. Um, but, you know, I hate to say it, but they may have to wait for the new makeup in January because there's a few uh, key players that may not vote that way. So so we'll have to see. But, but now that Kathy Hochul, and I said this 14 months ago when she was sworn in, I did a live video at midnight. At the moment she was being sworn in, and I said, and I'm on record saying uh, that I wish her the best, and I hope that her success will be all of our success, and I hope that she would come together. Uh, unfortunately, the first 14 months, she has not shown that to be true, yeah. but uh, hopefully maybe she got a little bit of a wake-up yeah. call. From, from your read of Albany, this is a job that you've taken on full-time. You're not one of those part-time members of the Assembly and Senate. I, I don't even know how you can even do this job part-time. You're full-time. You work seven days a week. You're at community meetings. You, you talk to the, to the folks. Do you think 
think that um, a person like Kathy Hochul, I notice, uh, again, we're, we're, you and I are just speculating right now. You think uh, the, there's that proverbial movement now to be more moderate, to maybe reconsider the dangerousness clause in bail reform, even fiscal policy. I don't care what it is. To move more in line with the 47.5% of the people of this state that voted for Lee Zeldin, do you think that's a possibility? Uh, I think I think it's a possibility, and I, I, I hope that it is. And if you remember back in 2010, uh, that was also a very big red wave election, if you will, with the Tea Party movement, uh, the midterm for President Obama, uh, and New York. At that time, the New York State Assembly, we picked up 51 seats. We took back the state Senate, which was briefly in Democratic hands. And uh, Andrew Cuomo was also elected by a pretty big margin. And for the first two or three years, he governed as more of a moderate. You know, he pushed for the property tax cap and things like that. So I think she has an opportunity to learn from that and to say, you know what, now's my chance to uh, stop, you know, placating the quote-unquote crazy people and start governing and, and giving a New York that's uh, more representative of everybody. And I, I hope that she does that because I still don't have an answer to the question of who is Kathy Hochul. I personally like her, but her policies are all over the map, you know. Uh, when she was a member of Congress, she was A-rated by the NRA. So, you know, it does make you wonder. And I think that deep down inside, I hope that she looks in the mirror and says, you know what, maybe the subways aren't safe. Maybe my experience uh, riding the subway one time or two times with uh, a gangle of press and a bunch of uh, security guards is not representative yeah. of the average New Yorker. So yeah. I'm hoping that we retool these. Yeah, let, let's hope because, again, um, elections are elections. They, uh, they, they, To me, they mean a lot. And I thought uh, there was a lot of meaning into what took place on Tuesday. We have a lot to talk about. I, I wanna, we're going to take a short break. And once again, welcome back, L.A. and the A.M. As we're heading up to that 9 a.m. hour, L.A. News Radio time is 8.40 a.m. I am Tom Schlero sitting in for the great Jay Oliver with my guest... Uh, good friend, Assemblyman Doug Smith, fresh off an unbelievable victory on a Tuesday. A lot of people look to Doug for leadership uh, in the state legislature uh, for the forgotten middle class. I'll always say that. But also, you know, representing the, the minority viewpoints and so on. Doug, uh, and I hate to even ask this question, but the whole idea, what else is on the horizon? See, uh, even though I believe in uh, you keep, uh, we should start a club, the 47.5%. We should start that club because that that club should be represented. 47.5%, if you're just joining us, is the amount of votes percentage that Lee Zeldin got that wanted a different alternative to the way this state is, is moving. Um, what do we foresee? What are the dangers of new legislation coming out of that AOC wing? Even though she's not a member of the state legislature, she seems to have control in terms of we're progressives, we're democratic socialists, and we're proud of it. And we don't want to see the overcrowding of the jails. Because I believe that's where that came from. It's jail overcrowding. So we've got to pass laws to let people out of jail. Is there anything in in spite of 47.5%, in spite of that, is there uh, anything on the wings that we should watch out for? Well, I think that um, I think that we're going to go back and try to get moderate Democrats to sit there and say, wow, you know. And if you look at some of the Democrats that lost longtime members of the state legislature, uh, I, I'm thinking that a lot of these moderate members might say, wow, you know what, maybe I should be more afraid of my constituents than of uh, somebody who might primary me in this uh, left wing of my party. Um, but, you know, AOC, you have one AOC in Congress. In the state legislature, we have about 12, uh, maybe 10. Is that right? Yeah, there's People quite a few follow that. self-proclaimed democratic socialists. Uh, That's that, scary, doesn't uh, it? Yeah, it, it's, it's actually bizarre, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, and, and especially some of these members, and I don't like to single people out, but uh, 
A few of them have led pretty charmed lives, so they haven't really interacted with the economy like the rest of us. So I, I guess it's easy to be a socialist if you're rich and don't care how high the tax rate is. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. But uh, some things that we're on the horizon that we're looking at for, um, they are still pushing for single-payer health care here in New York. I don't think that will come to pass. What that would do uh, would be to abolish all private health insurance in the state of New York. It would raise the state income tax over 20%. That's the state income tax, and include a payroll tax. It would also uh, try to take the Medicare funds. So this would actually eliminate Medicare for any New Yorker, uh, and the Medicare funds would then go to the state government from the federal government, which has never been done uh, in history before. Uh, but uh, a lot of the unions across the state uh, who, you know, they endorse Republican and Democratic candidates, so these are not like conservative think tanks. These are, uh, you know, labor unions. They're saying that that's not something that they would like to see, that they've worked really hard to get their members good benefits. They don't want to see their members uh, have to pay one-fifth of their salary to the state of New York and then have possibly inferior health care uh, coverage. Uh, so that's something that's on the horizon. I, I, I think that is going to continue to be a fight. I don't think that will come to pass. Something else that um, people have reached out that they're concerned to me, and I, I don't think that there's a real need to be concerned, although I would oppose this. Um, Kathy Hochul, and it was mentioned during the gubernatorial debate, uh, about the thought of adding the COVID-19 vaccination to the schedule of mandatory vaccinations for kids to attend school, and that includes public, non-public schools, um, you know, private schools, charter schools, every school institution. Uh, I don't think that's going to come to pass. Uh, if you look around communities across the state, um, and even in my own community, the adult vaccination rate in my district is about 70%, but in other communities, you have like a, you know, 40% adult vaccination rate. So, uh, mandating that uh, for the kids, you're talking about possibly 200, 300,000 kids being ejected from school. And I don't think anybody wants to see that. So I don't think that that's, you know, I'm trying to reassure people that uh, that would have to be an act of the legislature. There is discussion about it, but I ultimately don't think that that will be entertained seriously by anyone because, uh, you know, as the ranking Republican on the Education Committee, uh, I'm telling you, this would literally eject, you know, especially in some of our poorest communities, literally uh, eject thousands of kids out of their schools. So I, I don't see that that happening, and especially now when we know that the vaccination, you know, it uh, it's not preventing the spread. So I don't see that happening. So if anybody's worried about that and listening, uh, not really a concern that I would weigh too much uh, too heavy on uh, and you know there's the regular policy what I am hoping we do see because the Republicans and moderate Democrats uh, all this year during our session from January through June we're asking for a dangerousness statute to be included mm. uh, where judges can actually keep dangerous people behind bars what a thought um, because not just you know, and Tom, you know, as, as somebody who was a police officer, uh, you know, the bail system is to ensure future court appearances. It's not a punishment in and of itself. It's just to put somebody where they have skin in the game, where they have yes. an incentive to show back up to court. Um, and I, I think now by going to cashless bail, you're absolutely seeing repeat offenders go back out there and recommit crimes. So I think if we know what the target is, which clearly it's to stop people from being released and committing, recommitting crimes and also to keep communities safe. I, I think we know what the problem is. Now we just have to craft a solution. And uh, I'm optimistic that we can get somewhere with that. And I hope that the gridlock ends. Right. You know, and, and I'm glad you you outlined it this way because 
Is there dark clouds on the horizon, or is it something that uh, we need to be more aware of? And I'll ask you this question. Uh, again, I, I'm going to allude to the percentage of vote, and I'm going to do that a lot, I think, in the next couple of years, because I think that's important so that it gives the people, the people that voted on Tuesday and, of course, the early days and so on, um, how could they help you? And how could they help those people in the minority that might fight uh, some of this legislation? You know, there's the rumor is they'll pass, you, you'll, uh, you'll tell me what the title is, but laws that'll say that if you served X amount of time in jail and that you're over a certain age, we're going to release you. And that would include Colin Ferguson, the LIRR. <clears throat> Killer David Berkowitz, what they call the son of Sam and so on, could possibly be eligible for parole. Um, do you see that resurrecting itself in light of the results? And if you say yes to that, then how do the people get more involved in that? You're only one of 150. Uh, the rest of us are one in eight million or whatever the population yeah. is of New York State, Doug. Uh, well, I think that I, I'm hoping that the brakes are slammed on a lot of these proposals uh, for a while. And and what, uh, what you were just talking to uh, about, Tom, and I think a lot of your listeners here will be offended by this, but they call that geriatric parole, geriatric, which uh, yeah, yeah. by the age of, if you're 55 or over, which uh, I think a lot of people would be offended. Well, that, Berkowitz uh, and, and uh, Colin Ferguson, I think, have reached that already. Yeah. You know, I think they have. Oh, they have. So if you've served 15 years in prison and hit age 55, you'd be automatically eligible for parole every year. So every Even year you get Even though you got him. multiple, like I, I remember uh, Colin Ferguson. He represented himself. Uh, it was horrific, horrific trial. And, but I think he got 198 years. That would negate that 198 years? They would have a hearing every year. Yeah. So, and, and that, that's Which what's scary. Which he doesn't have now. Mike. Yeah, no, yeah, there's no yeah. hearing. No no end yeah. in sight there. So, so the fact that, you know, that's, and that's a real proposal. Um, not only would that really stifle our actual parole system because, you know, there are, you know, there are mechanisms where you need to have these hearings. Um, it, it's just absurd because now you're re-victimizing the families. As you know, Tom, uh, and I speak to, um, I, I have at least a few constituents, um, and now they've come together, uh, the family members of murdered children, a lot of these, mm, and yeah. domestic violence victims yeah. that were violently. Uh, and what happens now is at some point, if the um, person who was convicted of killing their family member is eligible for, for parole at any point, uh, they typically attend these hearings and they lay out the case of why, uh, you know, the person behind bars, their family can still visit them, but they, the family members will never be able to visit their loved one and all these, these arguments. Um, so to have to relive that now every year or possibly every two years, uh, these families are very upset about this and, and, and they're asking, how can we make this stop and how can we, so I, I do think, but I will say, I think with that 47 and percent and, and by the way, there's still, I think there's still about a thousand election districts that haven't been counted, uh, won't change the outcome, but we might close the gap a little bit yeah. there. Um, so we'll have to see. It may end up being about 48% of New Yorkers that wanted a different direction, which, which again, very tight right there. I, you know, again, I'm going to promote this on my radio show, that the 48% club, or however yep. we'll say it, so that people then become more activists, because I think it is so important that you cannot take that amount of votes in a, a state that, that was never conceived of to have it that way and, uh, and, and ignore it. 
and I and I think that's what we need to do. And I, Long Island, perfect example of change. Uh, we saw a change sweep across Long Island last year, and it was all because of these issues, you know. Yeah. Even though they took out people that had nothing to do with it, at least this year uh, they took out uh, the, some of the like Brooks, for instance, Senator yeah. Brooks lost his seat, but he was a proponent of the, the defund movement and the bail reform. And then when you ask him about it, they talk around it, and that's not right. That's not the, the way it should be. And, and you, you actually hit on something very important because, uh, again, and this is, you know, I, as I mentioned in the last segment, you know, I talk to everybody. I'm friendly with everybody because I, I just think on the behalf of my constituents, and I, I also like to think I'm a pretty genuine person. So if I like somebody or if I don't like them, you know, you kind of know. So, yeah. but a lot of these, uh, a lot of my Democratic colleagues uh, were enabling. So the fact is they themselves might not believe in removing that 50A protection from law enforcement officers where that protects yes. their personal information. So a lot of them said, well, we, we shouldn't have done that. But you voted yes on that bill. A lot of them believe that the bail reform, quote-unquote, cashless bail, went too far. But they still voted yes. So you can't, you know, come back to your constituents and say, well, it was in the state budget. We, we wouldn't have had a state budget if uh, we didn't vote yes. That's not accurate at all. Because if you stand up with us, and uh, in the state assembly we have, you know, we're going to wind up having about 50 Republicans. Stand with us and say enough is enough. And, uh, you know, they always talk about this suburban caucus they'd like to form. I'm hoping that the talks continue on that. But what it takes is it takes these moderate Democrats to be more interested in their communities than in uh, a possible And, and you should head that suburban caucus because you'd be a great moderate voice. For that. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, tru I, I truly mean that. You know, uh, we, do, we have a few minutes left. Um, I saw something last night. I think it was on Hannity. And uh, he raised a great issue. And I, and I, lo I love the premise of the whole thing. How could the state of Florida... Florida have seven and a half million votes cast and they count them all in five hours and everybody knows everything. But you got Maricopa County in the state of Arizona still counting votes on who the governor's going to be over there. You know, to me, there's a dangerous concept there when you're throwing ballots around and you have to do that. And I'm, I'm a person that believes in the integrity of the electoral system. I really do. Uh, you mentioned something before. There's a thousand EDs that haven't been counted yet in the state of New York. And, and you say that. Is there anything the legislature can do to say, well, we need to say a few people down to Florida to study how they could count votes, and we can't count votes. I mean, it's very frustrating. Doug, uh, I'll let you finish on that. I, I think that's a great point. I think the people of Arizona right now are wondering what happened, and then you have dueling press conferences, then you have the opportunity for people to question what happened, or, you know, are there things, and I, I feel very confident in the integrity of our elections. Uh, this was the first year in New York, and by the way, I'll say that it worked. Yeah. Uh, we counted absentee yes. ballots that were yes. received. Yes. Uh, on election night. Yes. And you were able to basically look at those things ahead of time, verify that they were correct. Actually, there were, and I don't know how much time we've left the segment, but there were people that I know that sent in absentee ballots. They signed their name a little bit crooked or a little bit different. And the Board of Elections actually wrote them back and said, hey, uh, did you actually request this? Because this signature is not matching your signature on file. Everybody listening to this broadcast, you should feel very good about that. These things are being painstakingly examined. Uh, so to make sure that every legal vote is counted and only legal votes are counted uh, here in New York and here in Suffolk County and Nassau County. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we've kind of figured that out. I'm very happy to see that those votes were examined ahead of Election Day. Uh, we had early voting, and, and with the absentees, they were counted. So now what we're waiting on, a lot of these very close elections for the State Assembly, State uh, Senate, 
are whatever is received in the mail in the next uh, few days. I think they have a week, and it had to be postmarked before Election Day. Couldn't that be tightened up a little bit, or is it this fear now, well, we better not require less time to send in an absentee ballot? And, uh, you know, I, I, I think about this, and I'm saying, you talk about the integrity of an election, and uh, and the integrity of elections just count the damn ballots. Right. I mean, that's all there is to it. it. We were always used to that fact that at 9 o'clock at night, we knew what the results were. And yes, there were the absentees, but they were counted along. As you just said, that is that is something that now we they, they get the ballots ahead of time and they can count them ahead of time. Um, you know, in a minute or so left, is could the legislature get involved in that? Or is that something that... Uh, uh, we could. I, I think the state legislature, because elections are a state issue, and I think, you know, like I said, I was very happy to see this, and then in New York, anyone who requested an absentee ballot was removed from the system. They couldn't show up to vote in person, and the reason for that was because of this fact that uh, they were going to be counted on election night. So I feel pretty good about it. I'm a tech geek, as I mentioned. I'd like to actually see how blockchain technology could be used to secure our elections mm. uh, from a technical standpoint. Uh, it's a very secure technology to make sure that uh, people are only voting one time in one location. Uh, and I think we can tighten it up a little bit, but I think every New Yorker should feel pretty good. And, and Lee Zeldin uh, and Kathy Hochul both agreed that this system uh, did work. It may be not the outcome that we wanted, but, uh, yeah. you know, it was a fair election. Well, believe it or not, we're almost at the 9 o'clock. We're going to go to traffic and weather, and uh, folks, everybody have a great day. Doug Smith, thank you so much.